Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, control addiction, and codependency. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, and subscribe to receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. For an extra episode each week and to support this podcast, become a Patreon member or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Welcome back to Recover Your Soul. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. I am sitting across the table from one of my favorite people in the world, Seth Larson. Hello. Hello. And thank you for that kindness. Well, you are. You're one of my favorite people. I always joke that Seth is part of a family that I've known for 20 years, and I'm an only child, and I've inserted myself into their family, so I've decided I'm the oldest sister. You are indeed. In fact, you're one of the very few people on the planet that we would consider leaving a daughter with. <laughs> but I also have some some trust issues, so that's... <laughs> And I know I need to go and actually take you up, or you need to take me up on my promise Done. to babysit. Done. So, Nadia, if you're listening. Some date nights. Yeah. So I wanted to bring Seth onto the podcast because he is one of my favorite people, first of all, but he has a really compelling story and has a really insightful point of view and has a lot of the stuff going on that we talk about in Soul Recovery, about finding your own way discovering what your passions are. If you know Seth, you might have listened to his music from a band called Something Underground, which is my favorite band of all time, actually. I always say it's the song track of my life mm. is their music. And if you have gone to my website and listened to the song Love Each Other, you are listening to Seth, who so graciously joined me and played guitar and did vocals with me on that mm. track. So you can go listen to that. Please do. Yeah, it was good. Seth, give me a little bit about, you always kind of want to know who somebody is and where they came from. Give me a little quick synopsis of your getting here today. My story always starts with my parents who met each other when they were five years old in a small town in Iowa. And the legend goes that my mom told my dad that she was going to marry him. And at the ages of 19 and 20, respectively, they got married. Mm -hmm. They were in a folk band called the four winds in high school. And when they started to have children, they started to add band members. Mm -hmm. Our, our, older sister. She's four years older than I am. And then I was born. And then my brother, Josh came four years after me. And so we grew up singing and playing together in church mostly, and also grew up moving around a bit as our dad worked for one of the major corporations. And as he moved up the corporate ladder, we moved. So from small town, Wisconsin to Southern California, to suburban Minnesota, to Holland, 
back to Minnesota. And then I ended up in Texas before I came to Colorado 24 years ago. And when I came to Colorado, my brother Josh had just moved here to go to college at CU. Right. And I was transferred up here with a marketing job right around the same time. And when he and I came back together, we hadn't lived in the same place for a while. We just immediately started playing music as we were naturally inclined to do. Uh, shortly after, had formed a band and I quit my job with a marketing company, started painting houses. And, uh, you know, short two decades later, uh, here we are. And, you know, we've done some some pretty neat things in the meantime. Yes. Yes. Including 20 years of music. I just went to your, mm -hmm. it was the 20th anniversary, mm -hmm. but COVID put it back a little bit. 22nd anniversary concert of Correct. something underground that was amazing. And you and your brother work together at the company that your dad had bought when he moved here to Colorado over 20 years ago. That's right. So we help run a small manufacturing company in Arvada and have learned much about life and business through that experience. And we've been there for about 13 years. Wow. Yeah. And you're a new dad, new dad, 18 months old daughter. And it is likely my most favorite human experience thus far, which is amazing. It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. She's pretty neat. I love watching you with her and how much you mm. love her. Man. Yeah, it's fierce. That feeling is something pretty big. We were just talking about that in the lead up about how you don't understand until that baby comes out and the fierceness and the protection that comes evolves around you to create, create your family's protection. Yeah. And there was also a sense of my role and my acceptance of my role and sort of where I stood in the hierarchy of our home. Mm -hmm. And so I see it as, um, it's my duty to, uh, provide for and support my wife in her raising and support and teaching of, of our child. And so I, I take on this like secondary role to some degree so that the primary role of taking care of our child can be fully uh, taken on mm -hmm. and played out. And it's like, it's, so it's, I'm maybe slightly less selfish. Maybe, maybe. I would say anybody who's a parent and takes it on as seriously as you two are, are less selfish than before you had your children. Time will tell. And I'm sure Hazel will have some thoughts about that when, <laughs> when she gets old enough. This podcast is about finding yourself, being true to yourself, letting go of control the outside world as much as we can. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Your family is this incredibly loving family, but there's a level of enmeshment. And as most of us have in our families and trying to fit in and please, that it wasn't always easy for you being the middle child, first of all, and the moving around was hard. And there was some hard times in growing up for you and feeling like you fit in and finding your way. At this point, I see all those difficulties as my greatest teachers, mm. my greatest opportunities to learn. You know, when, when you're in it at 12 years old, moving from Southern California to of a small town in Minnesota, it was pretty big culture shock. Uh, I was pretty fearful of going to school for about three years, which has formed my opinion of public schools and schooling in general. But all of that, I wouldn't change it at, at all. What I, what I try to do now is think about what tools, if I could go back and give myself certain tools to, to help work through those circumstances for the best outcome, what would I have given myself? Mm -hmm. Is I, I use that to try to form what I want to pass off to mm -hmm. Hazel. Like how, what things does she need to go through that I experience, and what what are things that she could bypass if given sort of the right set of tools to work with from the front end. So I'm very interested in how to take what I've learned now in my 46 years and distill it down into really useful bits for my daughter first mm -hmm. and foremost, but ultimately anybody who might get some help through those experiences. I love that you are in a place in your life where 
they don't feel like burdens anymore. Mm. Like it's a pain body that you're dragging around. That's one of the big soul recovery tips, which is you can either see it as a lesson and you can grow from it and you can learn what you were supposed to learn from it. Or you can let it be something that is like heavy bags of rocks that you're going to drag with you. I have no anger left over from childhood experiences. I have nothing but gratitude for it. And so that means like all of the madness and beauty that I got from my family experience mm-hmm. and, and like all the madness and beauty from who my parents are and were mm-hmm. and sort of to know where they came from and how that was passed on to me. And then now it's up to me to take the useful parts of what they taught me and to carry those through and to take the things that are of less use mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe even the opposite and to let those things go. And I look at that as sort of our current duty for everything that's been passed on through the generations. So, so as not to throw out everything that was passed on because there's so much useful information and so many useful ways of being that we have been the recipients of through all their hard work and experiences. I mean, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't exist mm-hmm. if they hadn't have figured it out to some degree. Right. And then those certain things that we've realized don't fit us or are not useful or even destructive, then it's up to us to put an end to those things. And, you know, the things that I like to think that I've been taught that I carry through is just kindness. You know, my parents, you mm-hmm. know, my parents, they're very kind. Kindest. Right. And and so that was like, that's so deeply uh, rooted in me that I've actually had to fight against it a little bit to like, <laughs> to be more um, uh, clear in my voice and to, to be like less worried about what someone's response to my right. thoughts are. It's like, I've had to actually counteract that, that like, um, you know, kindness to, to the point of like not speaking your truth. Which is huge because I think that, one of the things about being an integrity doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. It doesn't mean that you're, you don't have an opinion. And we actually, I was thinking earlier about when I was at your house one day and you were talking about your superpower, Mm -hmm. tell them what's your superpower. Part of it is what I call adult onset Asperger's, which is like the ability to sort of hear things without having an emotional response And then being able to say things that I know might land difficultly, Mm -hmm. uh, if that's a word with, with people Mm -hmm. and to, to do it as gracefully as possible to know my audience, to attempt to deliver the message in a way that is the most useful to them, but to not hold back for fear of hurting someone's feelings. Right. There's that being so kind that you're so afraid of hurting someone's feelings that you don't actually share important information. Right. And yet making sure that what you're sharing is done in a way, is this necessary? Is this kind? And what do I think the outcome is supposed to be? Am I attached to the outcome? Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were just talking about that a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, I'm not very attached to the outcome. I have very strong feelings about how our society works, how mm-hmm. families work and what I think might be more useful or, or more, more ideal, but I have zero expectations that anyone's going to hear anything I say or see anything that I do and change their lives based on that. If it helps. Great. Right. But I can't be attached to what the outcome may or may not be. That's huge because I think ultimately in our conversation of control for a soul recovery it's it's really confusing and has so many different sides to it because the only control we have in the world really is about ourselves and taking care of ourselves and our own needs and our own thoughts and making sure that we're not being what somebody else wants us to be. And yet you don't want to lose yourself and who you are in being too aggressive to other people. And it gets, it gets wishy-washy in there somewhere, you know? So it's this never ending balance. What brought you to that for yourself? When I was 12, we found out that we were going to move from California to Minnesota. And I took that opportunity to start to fail all my school courses. Hmm. And I was a really good student from the beginning and 
my teacher in sixth grade was my favorite teacher. She was so good. She didn't take any shit either. So I think that's one of the reasons why I liked her, you know? So found out we were moving in like February or March, something like that. And I basically called it in. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do any more work. And at the end of the school year, she brought me in and said, Seth, you failed, failed everything, but I know you're moving and I know you're a good student. So I'm going to give you C's. Mm. And I had this clear moment of recognizing that I could play a role and get something from it. Mm. And in hindsight, what it was is I played a victim and I got something out of it. It was my, my victim role that I played was reinforced by someone who I loved and respected. And this is not blame. It's not judgment. Mm -hmm. I understand where it's coming from. And ultimately it was a great experience for me because for the next 12, 10 or 12 years, I played that role more often than not. I played the role of a victim off and on of, uh, uh, antidepressants, you know, uh, clinically diagnosed as depressed was told by several doctors. I will always be on antidepressants or some kind of drugs. Mm -hmm. And I sort of played that out for the next decade until I uh, entered into a relationship. And then all of a sudden I was very happy and very much in love. And and she just said to me one day, like, you don't need to take those. Mm -hmm. And I believed her. And 24 years later, I haven't touched any of that stuff and don't feel the need. But that was part of the beginning of my understanding of this role that victimhood had taken for me and how I was using it to get certain things. Um, so once I felt that that was not predisposed, that it wasn't genetic, um, that I could do things, I could act in certain ways, I could practice certain things that would help keep me out of that mm-hmm. state of depression. Cause that I, I do, I definitely know that that's real. Mm-hmm. So I felt it. Mm-hmm. My God, did I feel it? Uh, but the tools that I had going into it and the reinforcing of the behavior led to that ultimate playing out of that role in like a, you know, very, very real way. Um, but once I sort of moved through that, then it became, okay, well, what do I need to do and what do I need to practice in order to like stay on that other path in which I don't need Mm -hmm. those particular drugs and, you know, all and not choosing victimhood, like somewhere in it was the realization that that actually wasn't who you wanted to be. Yeah. And I got called out by someone, another girl that, that I had dated. I, we dated for a very short amount of time and I, I did this whole victim thing and I was like, woe is me. And I'm depressed. And she's like, Oh, okay. And she literally was just like, I'm done with you. And I, and it was so jarring to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell? But it's me. But she didn't play. She didn't. Right. You're supposed to play along. Here. Like I'm supposed to get something. From I'm this. supposed to get, so you're right. supposed to like, and one day it was the year 2000, the very first day of the year 2000, I was driving back from the mountains and like a flash of lightning. I was like, Oh my God, I'm choosing that. Mm. I'm playing that, which means I don't have to play that. I am miserable right now. And I'm playing this miserable role to try to get attention from this person. But it's, this is awful. This is terrible. And I have a choice in the matter and I'm not going to choose that anymore. What and an so awesome awakening. Oh my God. It's funny. Is she has no idea. <laughs> her name's Abby and I don't even know her last name, but like, I'm sorry, it's Allie. Jesus. That's how, that's how long we dated. Her name's <laughs> Allie and she was a friend of a friend. And she, it like, it's one of those short interactions with another human, like just completely changed my way of thinking. I like to think that those are those those angels that spirit brings oh, to send you a message. Thank God. Yeah. And thank God that like she stood her ground. Mm-hmm. She didn't put up with that shit. She was right. like, no, no, thanks. I'm not doing that. Not for me. Yeah. So it, it was like, you know, I look at those, just the biggest gifts I could ever receive. And it's people speaking their truths to mm-hmm. me that have like caused me to stop in my tracks. And I'm like, huh? Well, I never thought of that. Well, that makes so much sense now that you say that based on our conversation before we started recording about how one of your desires in your communication with people is to elicit potential change, you know, that you don't have a huge attachment to like what comes out of it, but it makes sense that that appeals to you because you've had those experiences in your life that affected you so deeply to have someone come and just speak a different perspective that made you change your course. Another example of that, is we played a show at the Little Bear. This was this would have been 15 years ago. We 
we that's back when we were taking set breaks. Oh yeah, you, know, you don't do that anymore. Three and a half hours yeah. straight, but um, took a set break and walked out in the audience. We were playing terribly, you know, just not playing well. And I'm harsh about our performance when when we're playing. And uh, this woman came up to me and she said, "Hey, great job!" And I was like, "Ah." I just kind of, I blew her off and I did my Midwest nice sort of like don't accept uh, mm-hmm. compliments. And mm-hmm. she, she said, here's how this works. I give you a compliment and you accept it and you say, thank you. Uh-huh. And from that day forward, literally, there's never been a time since that day, since that moment in which when someone comes up to me, it doesn't matter how I feel about how we're performing. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. They're offering something. And it's my duty to, to just accept so that she can finish this transaction. Mm-hmm. And, and not that I'm, you know, trying to do what someone is telling me to do, but it's, it's, it's not about me at that moment. It's about her. She wants to be acknowledged. She's giving you this little piece of time and this little bit of energy to say like, Hey, what you're doing affects me in this way. And I need to let you know that I'm purposely coming up to, I'm taking my time and coming up to you, I'm finding you. To let you know that. And I'm blowing them off. Blowing them off. Interesting. I see that on so many different levels. I find that to be super fascinating because it's both sided. One is that someone comes and gives you a compliment Mm -hmm. and you're in your head with your own judgment of what that situation is. And the truth is for her. Doesn't matter. It she's digging it. That's right. It's touching her. And it's the same as if you give a compliment to somebody about liking their art or somebody looking great and inside of them, they're like, oh, but I didn't really, I don't, I didn't think this was that good. Or I don't think I look good. You're taking away the gift of this other person's experience. Yep. That's, that's just it. And so I've had experiences like that where she says, you know, I don't even remember what she looked like. I just remember what right. she said to me and how profound it was. And it was just, it was so obvious and so right but just without much uh, right okay no that makes perfect sense so that's what i'll do from now on that's my new operating system i'm taking that which we were talking about using your brain kind of like an operating system or programs applications mm-hmm. that's actually one of the things i really respect about you in terms of being a musician and performer is that you are so gracious in your connection with people And there's a humility in that story explains a lot about how willing you are to let people be part of the experience Mm. and that it never feels like you guys are up there saying, look at us, look at us, look Mm. at us. It's more like it's, we're in it together. We're doing it together. Mm. Yeah. We're really excited when we get really high level musicians up with it, like so much better than I am like in all these technical terms and just to give them a platform to shine because I know like how much it fills me up to see and hear them play. If we can just give them this moment so that other people can see and feel and hear what it is that, that we do. Mm -hmm. Oh oh my God. Like what, and, and how much joy it brings us to have and people spend their time and energy to come see us and they'll jump on stage with us and they'll sing with us. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. Well, it's it's an amazing connection. And my music has actually a lot to do with you because my dad was a musician and I would get up and sing with him. And that was like my favorite thing. And then when I was 16, I had this 16-year-old experience where my dad and I practiced this one song for a big outdoor concert. So it was a ton of people and he played it how he normally played it in the key he normally played it. And so it wasn't in the key that I could sing. And so it sucked. And I was, of course, 16 and mortified. Mm. And so I never sang again. And Mm. so it wasn't until I started going to the church, is how I know your parents, Mm -hmm. and started singing in that choir and coming and listening to something underground. And there was an outdoor concert for Memorial Weekend, Mm -hmm. like forever ago at the band shell. Mm -hmm. And I whispered to one of the women at church that... My dream in my life would to be to sing with something underground. And she, after the show, came up to you and said, Rachel wants to sing with you guys someday. And I remember at that time, I was terrified that mm. they had embarrassed that she had, you know, mm. said such a thing. And then out of the graciousness of time, you know, eventually I 
asked if I could sing something with you when there was something at church. So it was an easy, okay audience to practice. And I had my little piece of paper and my shaking hands, my terrified self. And over the years, then I got into a band with your parents Mm -hmm. and started writing music. And I've, you've invited me up to sing with you for, you know, many times and, and then to play a song with me on my, my record. Mm -hmm. And it just, you've done that thing that you aspire to, which is to allow for people to be themselves Mm -hmm. and to share and to learn and to grow. And I know that I'm not the only one Mm -hmm. who's benefited from that. Well, you did all the hard work. I mean, you did all the training and the practicing and you showed up like you've been pro for years. I mean, you're a total natural at this stuff and you know that. And thank God you do because it's important for people that have the capacity and ability with the, with the human language and then add music to that, to use it responsibly to help our brothers and sisters whenever we can. You have all of that. And so thank God you're using it right now. And I'm sure people listening right now feel the same way. Thank you. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot in soul recovery is that we're each given these gifts, unique gifts. You, one of your gifts is music and writing songs and singing. Your voice is incredible, but people don't believe their gifts. They're given to them and then they question them. Mm. And the gifts aren't always something that's out in public. Maybe it's somebody who is incredibly nurturing or can listen profoundly or is a caregiver as a nurse and can be there with their patients in a way that is so incredible or people that have vision. You know, we were talking earlier about having big visions to change the world and they're the ones that have a voice, you know, the kids even that have voices and are talking about the environment and talking about social change, like each of these gifts and we each have them and so many people are afraid to let them out mm-hmm. and have been discouraged from letting that out. Right. I mean, at our core, without even trying, we are all creators. Yes. We are creating food for plants as we speak right in this moment. Yeah, Tell me carbon more. Carbon dioxide. Right. So you don't even have a choice in the matter. Right. You are creating. People will come up to me quite often and talk about how they wish they could play music or they wish they were a musician or I'm not a musician. And I push back on that all the time. And nine times out of 10 will all do to someone who says, I don't have a musical bone in my body. I'll just say, Hey, just um, mimic the sound I make. And they'll go, right. Always on the same pitch, always on the same pitch. Interesting. And what I say is like, Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. You are a singer and you have an ear for music because you just, I just sang a pitch. It's just a noise, but it was a pitch Mm -hmm. and you just repeated it without any thinking. And the only difference between you and me is that my parents at a very young age required us to play music and we got to watch them play music and we got to watch our dad use his ears to put things on the guitar and Mm -hmm. then sing them back. And our mom has that ability too. She's just not as trained as our dad, but we got to be in that type of environment. It's the only difference between me and anyone who claims that they're not a musician. Right. You know, someone will say, I don't have, I don't have beat. I don't have any rhythm. It's like, well, your heart would beg to differ. You are rhythm. You don't have it. You, You are it. And it's unfortunate that teachers and people in the past have planted these seeds of, Doubt. Of doubt mm-hmm. and um, all the rest of it. Yeah. And so people have not pursued these things that they have the innate ability to do. I mean, it's, it's our, one of our birthrights is to create yeah. in that form. And whether you go to do it professionally or even like pick up instruments is beside the point. But for people to say, I'm not a musician, it's, it's just objectively like untrue. And it's, it's, I feel like it's our duty to, encourage people or at least to give people the possibility that that may not be the case yeah for so many things writers and 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 cooking and gardening and there's so many ways to be creative that's right so many ways to be creative and it's essential i think for true full happiness to discover what that creativity is not compared to anybody else 
life creates. Yeah. We are creators. I we, mean, that's what I think spirit right. brought us here to be a, there. We are a creation and we're here to create. That's right. That's it. That's right. So in terms of your journey and what has been the things that you feel strongest about love and connection with people is something that I feel like I see your music. It has tender, touching, profound life moments, but it's always about finding yourself in creativity and love and being connected. What is it that has brought you to that? And what do you want to do with that going forward? I repeat the phrase, I'm the luckiest man to have ever walked the earth daily. Mm-hmm. Internally, externally, like I just, I know it in my core. And I've felt this way for a long time. And even when I was sort of, well, maybe not in the depths of my despair, but um, even in difficult times, I realized that I've, I've lived a charmed life of not gone hungry. I've not been without shelter. I've had all the basic needs provided for. I've had a loving, supporting family. And so I've had it pretty good and it just feels like my responsibility to share that as much as possible in whatever ways I can. Mm -hmm. And music is a pretty profound and broad way to bring people into the fold of Mm -hmm. that. And I think what a lot of people have been attracted to with our band over the years is the family aspect of it. I mean, we often have our parents up Mm -hmm. on stage. The fact that my brother and I are, are there, you know, the, the front of this power trio and we are harmonizing constantly and it's pretty tight harmonies after, you know, 40 years of singing together and genetic vocal structure. That's Mm -hmm. right. And so we've got some really good base to to work with we're we're starting from such a good place and if we can if we can like wrap our arms around people and sort of bring them into that feeling um maybe that will be useful for them and uh and to see families that are together and that sing together i think is is inspiring for people mm-hmm. so it, it feels like somewhat of our responsibility or duty to share that with as many people as possible And do you take it outside of your music? I mean, is that how you are the leader of your company? Mm -hmm. Do you, is that how you do everywhere? Yes. Um, And the way I do that generally is by asking big questions of people quickly. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to know about really big things in people's lives quickly. And I'm unafraid to ask those questions Mm -hmm. because I mean, the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say they don't want to answer it, or they might even be offended that I asked a question. Dug in so deep. Dug in so deep. Mm -hmm. I've never, ever, ever been denied an answer to a question. Interesting. I can ask people that I've literally just met and I've interviewed at this point. I mean, it might be thousands of people uh, for my job Mm -hmm. and for the job prior. And I will, it's not like I start there, but Mm -hmm. if they open the door, I just keep going. Right. And I keep asking more questions. And so I've had people (laughs) tell me some really big things in their lives uh, to me in a job interview, Mm -hmm. people crying, people like it's telling me that they've never talked about this with, with anybody. Wow. And these are complete strangers and it just seems uh, like a natural thing to do is to get to know people on that level Mm -hmm. quickly. And as I get older, it's like the more I just want to, you know, not bullshit. Like, I don't care about the weather. I don't care about the Broncos. You know, I, I like, I want to know what, are you afraid of dying? Like I am, mm-hmm. you know, what, what kind of human what, being are you? What, yeah. what the hell happens when we die? Like what, what's going on? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, that's the shit I want to know. Like, I want to know like, what's difficult for you? Like what brings you joy? What brings you a sense of purpose? And so I just like that's what I'm interested in. That's what I want to know about people. And, Turns out when you ask people about that shit, they get lit up, mm-hmm. they get excited and they're like, huh, wow. Most people haven't heard themselves say these things out loud. Yeah. We, we're not as a society allowed to do that. I mean, I'm the same way. I really want to, I want to really know who you are. 
right? I want to really know what's going on inside of you. When I ask you, how are you? I don't actually just want you to say I'm fine. I, I want to know how you are. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And one of the ways that I do that is by sharing big stuff about myself quickly mm-hmm. and with no shame. And that's the other thing that's changed here in the last decade is mm-hmm. I do not have shame for my past actions, nor do I have shame for any of the things I didn't choose, the way I look, the family I was born into, the time and place. I don't have any shame for that, nor do I have pride. And that's important that I don't need to be proud nor ashamed of any of the things I didn't have control over. Right. And these things that I've done in my past, shame is useful for like a split second, just to get like some sort of calibration of where you are. It's like, Mm. Ooh, that probably is not good. That's probably not useful because yeah, I feel and then don't that. hang on to it because then you're just going you down the road. Yeah, what are you doing with that? And it gets toxic yeah. and it grows and and I that's what I did for decades. You know, I really held on to that shame and guilt for things I did and didn't do. Mm-hmm. So I share my stories of kind of like the heavy shit I've done or the big experiences or the, or the stories that don't make me look all that good to give people the space to share their own stuff Mm -hmm. because I want them to know, like, I'm not going to judge them. Mm -hmm. I can just sit here and just listen to your story and like, and like, dude, it's all good, man. We've all literally all of us have done such messed up shit that like, who the hell are we to judge one another? I love that. I feel, I feel like that's why people resonate with recover your soul is I'm pouring myself out there because we're all in it. I have nothing to hide. Because I want people to feel comfortable with everything that is inside of their hearts. Because the more we can let go of the shame, the more we can let go of the suffering from it and see it as lessons to observe it and touch it and taste it. And if it's a black beetle, as I say, these like dark black beetles that are in us that are eating us alive, get that shit out. No doubt. Get it out and love yourself for just who you are. We are all special. But no one is more special than anybody else. But we are all so deserving of full compassion and love from ourselves first, and then spirit, and then those around us. But we have to love ourselves first. Yeah. For it to happen. Yep, that's right. Yeah. What a fun conversation. Mm -hmm. I knew this would be amazing. My wife was asking what we were going to talk about, and I said I didn't know. I'm like, but I want to say really crazy things. And we were talking about this a little bit before we got started uh-huh. is that I like to poke the bear. I, I like to rattle the cage because I like my cage to get rattled. Well, that I love that you explained that earlier because you, you do it not because you're hoping that you do it for somebody else, but because it applies to you too, that you like to have that kind of cage rattling. Yeah, because it helps improve, evolve shift it it allows us an opportunity to take an idea that we use which is never our own by the way like none of the ideas that i have did i come up with these are ideas that we're either born into and you didn't even know you had them until you're all of a sudden you get to observe at what you were given from Mm -hmm. birth or they're ideas you picked up along the way that you're a little bit more intentional about but all of those ideas you can take them and use them for a while until mm-hmm. they're no longer of use, or you find find another idea that is more useful. Right. And so you can just set the old one down and then you pick up this new one and, and you move on. And that's your new operating system right. from there. Yeah. I think so often about how just not even that long ago, I'll have been thinking something and been really attached to it. And then something new will come and bump it out of the way And that other idea that I was so attached to doesn't even exist anymore. Mm. And then I look back and I go, oh, I was really holding on strongly to that, that now is not even in anywhere around me. How quickly it happens. It's the ideal. It's like deleting an app. So I had an experience with my wife when we first started dating. I said something to her one day about, I had, I have issues with intimacy. I have some like kind of stuff from past relationships in my upbringing. And I just kind of want to warn you about it, warn you about it. And mm-hmm. so she says to me, well, I hope you don't bring that into our relationship. <laughs> I love that. And, and I, and I just sat there for a second and I was like, huh, well, I guess I won't. And it was 
you know, it's not that I didn't have thoughts that right. would come up during intimacy, mm-hmm. but I realized I got to choose whether or not I let those things play out in my current relationship. And it was like, whether it was just, I realized that she wasn't going to put up with my shit uh-huh. or she kind of gave me like the permission to just be like, Hey, you know, you don't need to bring that in here. Do you? Right. Hmm. Well, I guess I hadn't have thought about it that way, but now that I have, you're right. And so like you're describing, mm-hmm. I took an old idea or operating system application mm-hmm. and I literally deleted it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, well, what else can I do that with? And it and turns out you can do it with pretty much anything. Yes. Some easier than others. And, and I think you got to practice it, but you know. It's a choice though. We forget we have this choice. I agree. We have this choice. My favorite saying that I came up with that I said all the time to the kids was you get to choose your attitude, pick a good one. No doubt. You know, you get to choose whether you're going to let the victimhood eat you alive or whether Mm -hmm. you're going to bring these old constructs into your new relationship. So having lived a life in which I felt like I didn't have a choice in which I felt like I was predisposed to depression and cancer and heart, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I realized that I did have a choice eventually, Mm -hmm. but how do you have conversations with people or do you have conversations with people or but how do you have conversations with people who don't believe they have a choice? If you believe that they do. Mm, See, I, that's interesting because when people come to me for counseling, they're coming because they are interested in making a different choice. Okay. And so I think that there's an awareness that I've had in, in connecting with people now that I've been on this journey and I feel like I've had a spiritual awakening and my mind is totally different than it ever was before that I have a very strong awareness that some people are not interested in choosing differently. And so I can start to have a conversation with them just out in the world, not a client Mm -hmm. or a soul recovery listener, but let's just say you're talking to somebody And I do the same thing as you, which is I usually jump in real deep and just expose myself and you will run up against people who clearly aren't interested. And so I used to do a thing where I would try to show them Mm -hmm. something. And that's what I talk about a lot is it's like, that's manipulation, that's control. And so then now I can, I can, my choice is to just back off entirely and just be more me because the more me that I can be, which is this person that's evolving and letting go of all the bullshit from the past. If that interests them, they'll come and ask me about it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that makes sense. So that's probably a a useful place for the serenity prayer as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you talked. I I listened to your podcast of that one. I really love that one. I love that prayer. It's so good. And it's so good. And I really did, when I first started saying it, the things give me the courage to change the things I can. Mm -hmm. I really thought that meant give me courage to change other people. And it took me a while to realize that that actually was really about me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the courage to change the things I can, which is me. My mom's dad he died when I was 12. A lot, a lot happened. A lot happened when you were 12. Very formative. Yes. Um, he had this wooden plaque in his workshop down his basement. That was the serenity prayer. Mm. And it, and I think that's why it stuck with me so much is because I I remember it. And then within the last handful of years, I had this epiphany. I was like, huh? I wonder if he was, uh, (laughs) A recovered alcoholic. <laughs> right. Because I, I heard stories, you know, there was like this story and I never got the details of it, but I, it just came to me and it doesn't really matter one way or the other if it was, but it, it also, I've, I've recognized when I was a kid, I saw him as a, as a saint, as a God is like this. He was just like my favorite human, mm. you know? And, uh, in the, as I got older, like I started to hear and understand him more in the human aspect and it doesn't change the respect mm-hmm. and the love I had for him, but, um, it, it just helped me see that, you know, that there's human in all of us and, uh, we tend to do some cute human things. Yes. And I would, I would say that if almost anybody really looks deeply 
alcoholism or addiction or narcissism or dysfunction has been in every single family ever. For all of time. For all of time. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. 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 So as we wrap up a little bit, I always like to ask, what is your, if you have your platform to share your life's wisdom that you wish you could share with the world, what would it be? What would the platform be or what would the wisdom be? What would the wisdom be? This is the platform. Mm, This is the platform. Mm -hmm. Um, Boy, that is what I'm working on every day as I try to distill down anything that's useful of my 46 years into what I can give my daughter. Um, So I think one of the first things is to, strangely, it's the not taking things personally. Mm. Um, you know, the four, I love the four agreements and that's been a powerful mover in my world, but there's something about that superpower we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier, which is to be able to be resilient to words and experiences, um, puts you in a much better position to be successful in whatever it is you're doing, but it's, it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And all the models that we have that I can see are to lean into taking everything personally. Right. Um, and you know, it's relationships and it's work and it's, it's, we're, we're led to believe that like, this is all this such a drama and, and that is what is to expect Mm -hmm. and just get used to it, buddy. Mm -hmm. But what they don't tell you is you don't have to buy into it. Right. You don't have to let it rock you. You don't have to let it destroy you. You don't even have to let it, really affect, affect you. you in the least right you get to choose that mm-hmm. and there's something so powerful in that lesson and it applies so broadly that i find myself wanting to start there because i i watch it happen in, in my workplace every day i watch it happen in, in my sort of personal uh, relationships is that the taking things personally gets in the way of having effective communication and therefore things don't get done and certainly not in a way that's most efficient. Yeah. And I've been practicing this type of relationship with my wife now for the last handful of years. And she was well suited to have this type of communication relationship for a couple of reasons. One is because she's Danish and they're kind of like, you know, don't take no shit. And they say how it is, right? They just kind of like, they just say it, you know? Like, Well, you said in your marriage, you wanted her to call you out. That's right. And she it's, does. When I proposed to her, I didn't know it was coming, but we were in this conversation and I was just like, my heart was full and I just went and grabbed the ring and I got down my knee and asked her to marry her. And then I, I asked her to promise me one thing and that she'll call me out. And she, and she doesn't even need to because I ask. Mm-hmm. When we go places and I've had some intense conversations, I'll be like, okay, tell me what you saw. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you heard. And she's like, well, you went here, you did this, you said this, you probably could have done this. And it's like this beautiful reflection so that I can refine how it is I communicate. Right. And ultimately that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to communicate the most effectively to like the most people that I can starting with my daughter at this point, but, um, but knowing that. My daughter will be well served if I can reach as many people as possible yeah. and, and um, make sure that people feel seen and heard and loved as much as I can in the short amount of time that I get to interact with yeah. them. Yeah. And then the not taking things personally, I think, allows for so much more love for the people around you oh. because you're just letting them be themselves right. instead of having this expectation that they're going to do something for you. Because then we're, we're taking it personally. We're, we're projecting everything from our past onto this person to provide for us something. And the yeah. more that we can not take it personally, the more you're actually just allowing that person to be their fullness of who they are mm-hmm. without all the filters and just see them for exactly who they are. Yeah. And part of that superpower that I was talking about earlier is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I say that all the time. And yeah, it is, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy, but once you get there, there is no other way. Mm-hmm. You just you're like, okay, well, I might be getting into an uncomfortable situation and I'm just going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And being comfortable with other people being uncomfortable mm-hmm. is another one Yeah, because 
most of us are programmed to make sure people aren't hurting that are around right. us. And if we can have anything to do with it, well, we don't want to be a part of their suffering or their, their right. hurt. Um, fix it, fix it. Yeah. Fix it. And, yeah. and in doing so, we leave out useful information and truths, um, helpful things for the sake of trying to be polite or nice or humble or whatever, right. the, whatever it is. Yeah. And so the ability to sit in uncomfortable spaces, um, say things that might be deemed as uncomfortable, that is useful. Yeah. And let yeah. somebody else have their experience. And sometimes their experience is not great, but you've got to let them do it because that's their learning. That's where the growth comes. That's where sometimes that wall that they hit is the wall that makes change. Yeah. And it can often be reflected back to you as, um, you did that. You, you did this. It right. could be, it can be thrown right back at you. And, and like, and that's the other part is just accepting be like, I'm okay with that. Well, that's their victimhood. So, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've accepted that that's how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. Like, and I won't even try to argue right. with it. You're, you're allowed to have that position. Mm -hmm. And if that's useful to you, by all means, hold on to it. You know, I think you'll find in the long run, not useful because it takes all of the control out of your hands and puts it squarely on everyone else. Right. That's my whole thing. Like you don't have control of a single other person. All you have control of is yourself. And yet all day long, we hand the control over of ourselves no to doubt. somebody else. And then you have, then you left suffering. So you can just take it back, take it back on yourself, which means you don't need somebody else's opinion to validate you. I get very disappointed in myself when I let my peace be stolen, mm. when I let my goat be gotten. Mm -hmm. And so it's also one of my practices in which can I keep my shit together while, while things are getting uncomfortable. Here? Yeah. Yeah. Not easy, but an incredible lesson. Yeah. Power, an incredible strength. That's like, that's true, true strength to have. And I was gifted that ability and that experience through a couple of ways. One was through the company because I had to have a lot of very difficult conversations with people on a very regular basis. I mean, it was tough times and pe when people are in tough times, it's just, it's tough stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was the person who was interacting with all of those things. And so I got thrown into this and trial by fire. I just had to learn how to be okay with people saying crazy shit lobbed at me, lobbed at my dad, mm -hmm. lobbed at the whatever it was right. and sit there and just listen, hear him out. Right. And then the other, of course, is the use of psychedelics, but that's kind of another. You and my mom should yeah, be on a psychedelics conversation together. That'd be hysterical. Well, thank you so much for well, your man. time today. And I, I'm sure you'll be back for more. This was great. You're the best. You're just absolutely. Oh. I thank God that you exist and that you're doing what you're doing and that I get to come and be a part of whatever it is you're doing. So thank you thank for you, doing Zach. the Lord's work. Well, and thank you for being such an important part of my life. And I love you very much. Back at you. I love you too. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time. Namaste. Peace. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed making it. I wanted to go ahead and play the song Love Each Other that I wrote and that Seth is doing vocals and guitar and his brother Josh is playing bass and my husband Rich is on drums. Also, if you're interested in checking out Seth's band Something Underground in the show notes, I will put a link to their information, but just go search them on Spotify. They have an Instagram, Facebook page as well. Lots of great music. Thank you so much. Namaste.
how do I go deeper on my path to soul recovery? Or how do I support this great podcast? Well, here's how. Here's your call to action. If you're ready for real inner change and would like to work directly with me, visit the website and book a coaching session. I'm here to support you on your unique path. I'm here to help you let go of the past, to deepen your connection with your higher power, whatever that is for you, and to discover and then step forward into a happy and healthy life. You can also become part of our soul recovery community. One way is to join the support group. It's the first Monday of every month. It's by Zoom from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, and you can register on the website to get your Zoom link. Recover your souls on social media. Of course, there's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, lots of ways to connect. And there's even a private Facebook group that will allow for more communication and conversation about soul recovery. There is also an extra bonus episode every Friday if you are an Apple Podcast subscriber or Patreon member. I'd also love all of the listeners to subscribe on the website so that I can keep you informed on what's going on with the podcast, the community with me and anything that's up and coming and new and great about soul recovery. Also, if you just take a little bit of time to give me five stars, a quick review, and to share the podcast with your friends and family, we're helping even more people to have soul recovery in their lives. If this podcast is providing you spiritual nourishment and inspiration, thank you, thank you for going to the website and pushing the donate button, whatever donation feels right to you. This means so much to me because I have this enormous mission of sharing soul recovery with the world and your donations, your bookings, your subscriptions, your being part of this community is helping that to happen. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul.
The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.